Hello, and welcome to the 13th episode of Inside Music. I'm your host, James Shotwell, and on this week's episode, Thomas Nassif, co-founder of Bad Timing Records, contributing writer for Absolute Punk, and staff member at Fuse Television. Thomas and I talked about his career in music, his beginnings in Florida, and his life now looking towards the future. I think it's a great conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it. But before we get there, we have to tell you about our sponsors. Inside Music is made possible by Holix, the music industry's leading digital promotional distribution platform. Whether you're looking to get your music in front of the press or you want a little help fighting piracy, Holix has the answers you need. For more information on Holix and access to a free 30-day trial, visit www.holix.com. That's www.h-a-u-l-i-x.com. Okay, let's get to the show. Um, but yeah, so what's your holidays like this year? Uh, me, and my, me and my girlfriend are staying here in Brooklyn. Uh, I think my dad may come up for New Year's, um, but we're going to visit her parents in Germany in, in the middle of January. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, I sort of delayed my holiday plans for a couple weeks. Have you, uh, have you done the Christmas away from home before? Um, I'm trying to think. I guess last year my, my dad came up here for Christmas, so I guess last year was the first time I would have not been home for Christmas. Um, but I, I don't know. It, it feels semi-normal now. You know, like I just get to see my parents when I do, mm-hmm. and that's it, not necessarily on the holidays, but um, I probably still see my parents just about as often as I did when I was in college. Oh, do you have siblings? I do. I, I have one sister. She's, she's going to graduate from UF in May. Okay. Yeah. Do you see her very often, or? Probably about. Um, about the same. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not not as much as I saw her when I was in college because we went to the same school, but I still get to see her pretty regularly. I'm always curious. Like, I'm an only child, and I'm the same way with my parents, where we kind of see each other whenever we can. Like, I don't think I've done Thanksgiving home in a couple of years, but I'm always curious. Like, when it comes to making it work with family and siblings, kind of trying to find that balance. Yeah, it would be interesting. I'm not because I'm not too sure where my sister's going to move when she graduates. She she might move to Orlando, or she might move like somewhere else entirely. So <laughs> that would that would be an extra effort to go because because currently like she just lives in Florida. You know, if I go visit Florida, yeah. then she'll meet me wherever I'm going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so your girlfriend's parents are from Germany. You said. Well, her her dad works in the army, so they moved around a ton. And currently, he's stationed in Germany. And I have actually never been to Europe. Um, that was my next question. So. <laughs> yeah, and I, so I've never had to do that long flight. And flights are pretty bad for me. I'm a pretty tall guy. Um, yeah. So so I, it'll be interesting to to be on plane for nine hours. <laughs> but exciting. That's that's super cool. Yeah, I'm excited for it. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, I think, you know, you've been on the Hollocks blog before, like over a year ago. So like we have the 2013 story of Thomas Nassif pretty, pretty well down. Um, but I kind of want to, I want to do a little bit of backtracking because not everyone knows your story. So I'd kind of like to start at the beginning and kind of work our way to where we are now and, you know, maybe get distracted a few times along the way. Sure. Um, but you are a Florida, you are a Florida native, right? I know that when we talked before, you had told me that you never even planned on moving out of Florida originally. So I take it you're from there to begin with. Yeah, I grew up in South Florida um, in a town called Pembroke Pines, which is between Fort Lauderdale and Miami. And uh, I went to the University of Florida in Gainesville, which is about five hours north. Um, and when I was finishing school, 
uh, I had a job at Paper and Plastic Records, and I was I was label managing that label, um, which is owned by Vinny from Less and Jake, and I was doing sort of freelance publicity, uh, just here and there for bands and labels when they needed. And my plan after I graduated was just to stick around in Gainesville for a while because you don't have to make much money to live in Gainesville. Um, <laughs> And I was making certainly enough money doing that stuff, and I was just going to hang out for a while. And but I ended up moving to New York. <laughs> uh, what that small town, the town you said you were from, I, I already forgot the name because I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> Pembroke Pines. Pembroke Pines. Is yeah. that like? Uh, is that? It's not a city necessarily. Is it like a small town or? Yeah, this is a pretty standard suburb. Um, it's not. It's not super tiny by any means. Uh, we had we had one music venue there. It was called the Talent Farm. Um, but it's a place that when, when bands came around, like if, if, uh, at that point in time, so talking four or five years ago, if the Wonder Years were going to South Florida, you know, they play the town farm or, or smaller pop punk bands like that. Okay. Um, because the other venues were too big for them. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, now I remember you told me in the past that before you got into alternative music, you kind of had like the classic rock thing, like Springsteen, I know is a big one that you've mentioned in the past. Um, is that is that something you pick up from your dad, from your mom? Is that a family thing, or? Yeah, that's all from my dad. Uh, <laughs> Springsteen, Dire Straits, Boston, Billy Joel, um, sort of anything that falls into those lines. I definitely learned from my dad, and uh, Springsteen's my favorite artist, so that's that's the one that stuck around the most. But I I still appreciate like uh, especially the guitar work um, from a lot of those guys, like Mark Knopfler, um, and. You, that's a, that's sort of the, that's the sort of thing that you don't hear much of anymore. Um, there aren't a lot of new records being made by those guys or by anyone who really sounds like them. So it's a thing that I appreciate for being uh, stuck in a moment. Yeah, sort of, yeah, I get that. You'd be surprised how often Springsteen comes up on this podcast. So we speak with people from <laughs> all over the industry. Like everyone's like has that Springsteen story or an album. It's usually Nebraska that everyone's like, oh, but but that record. Right, it's because like, that's his storytelling. That's his uh, singer-songwriter album. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my oh man, I wrote <laughs> when I was in college. I did a project where I retro-reviewed all sixteen, all Springsteen sixteen records to that point. Um, <laughs> I think I think after I've, I've grown up a little bit, the Wild, the Innocent, and the E Street Shuffle sticks out to me just as much as like Born to Run or Born in the USA or The Rising. And you and you continue to be a fan today, like that hasn't gone away. Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not a super fan of his new thing, which is called High Hopes. I it didn't really stick with me. It's, I probably would by default rank it 17th out of his 17th um, <laughs> because I like the others at least a little bit. But this one just didn't really stick with me. It's it's weird. I don't know. It's kind of strange to judge people. Like I, my dad's always like into Bob Seger when I was growing up, and like we just saw him live. And when you hear like a new Bob Seger album, it's so much different than like what he was making in his prime. That I'm always like, it's not as good, but it's also almost like a different artist at this point in his career. Where it's like this guy couldn't make Night Moves, or in Springsteen's case, he couldn't record Born to Run at this age. He's he's not that person anymore. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty fair. Um, I definitely feel that way about most of. Uh, Springsteen's work post two thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, I would honestly say that this most recent one is his biggest misstep. I, I don't really understand what went on into it. I, I, I understand it's not an entirely new album, so I try to just like <laughs> try to just let it slide and hope for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. that's a good way to do it. I think that's a good yeah. way to do it. 
Um, yeah, you touched on getting into writing and stuff when you were in college. Now you, you're a little bit younger than me. So you start college in 2009. Is that right? Yes, it is. Awesome. I got this. I remembered. Okay. <laughs> so you're like three years behind me basically. Cause I started in 2006. So 2009, you start college. Now, are you writing at this point for free? Cause you don't start college in music. You start pre-med psychology, if I recall. I did. Um, I, I went to UF and, uh, <laughs> in my second semester, uh, so it was like January of 2010, and I went to a chemistry class, and it was like, I remember it being like 15 degrees, like it was like the coldest day in Gainesville, like in years, <laughs> and I went, and I was freezing, and I went to like a 7 a.m. chemistry class, and the professor was wearing uh, jean shorts and a Hawaiian t-shirt, <laughs> and he was doing laps around the auditorium, just yelling shit about the periodic table, <laughs> and I just walked out, <laughs> and I changed my major. Um, that's, so that's a good story that I like to tell people, but um, <laughs> then I switched to journalism, and that was really, the only the only writing I had been doing was, uh, when I read Absolute Punk, I was kind of interested in writing reviews. Mm. Um, so I had done oh, just a few, maybe like 10 or 15 as a user reviewer for the site, um, but I hadn't done much writing outside of that. I, I had started some shitty blog um, around this point when I changed my major, and I was able to interview, the first man I interviewed was one years, which was only like a month after this story takes place, like at the beginning of February, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I interviewed Major Orchestra, which was cool, and I have no idea why they let me. Um, and then eventually I got hired by Absolute Punk to edit the user reviews. And that was April or so, 2010. So yeah, it all kind of happens all at once for you. Like you start college, you kind of fall into this. Now, I, I'm curious about, like, I just did a podcast with my dad to ask him what it was like to raise a kid that wants to go into like entertainment or journalism. So for your parents, you go to college with like pre-med, which most parents dream of. So what's what's the conversation like when you're like, ah, you know what, I think I'm going to go to journalism? Um, I don't, I wouldn't say my parents were bumped by it. I think that they were supportive even if they... Oh, he, well, here's a, the catch is that um, when I started journalism, I kept my psychology major as a second major. Okay. Um, so I think that even in my head, the plan was sort of probably to end up doing med school or something involving psychology for a while. Uh-huh. Um, and then when, like, the sort, sort of like the opportunities in the music industry started ramping up for me by like my junior year, I ended up dropping the psych major. Um, uh-huh. Because the science classes were just so boring for me. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But they were supportive. They were supportive. They were. My my dad especially uh, has always supported whatever whatever stupid thing. <laughs> Are they like uh, creative people themselves? Photography, music, anything like that? No, not really. My my mom's an administrator for a public school district, and my dad is very much like a tech guy. Um, so yeah, it's interesting actually that. Now that I think about it, I never really have. <laughs> that my my parents have supported me to the extent that they have. Um, I would think, yeah, I would think that my dad probably would have wanted me to stick with the pre med thing, but he he certainly isn't upset where I where I've wound up. Yeah, that's kind of the way my parents talk to me. Where they still ask me if I would like to become a teacher or a doctor or mm-hmm. something. They're like, you know, it's not too late. You could, you could just cash in now. Yeah, I could I could see myself getting into teaching. Like that, that seems like a reasonable thing. Yeah, that seems like a decent, easy transition, especially after you've been writing for so long. You really get into mm-hmm. the habit of kind of talking in that way or speaking to people that way. Yeah. 
Um, that's awesome, though. I, I never knew that about your family, and apparently it's something you haven't been asked very often. So that's good. That's good. Keep yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I don't think anyone has ever. Yeah. <laughs> so AP comes in there like 2009, 2010. When does paper and plastic start? That's uh, in January 2011. So about eight months of writing for AP.net. Um, I tried to write for the, the University of Florida has a has a student run newspaper, but it's not funded by the university. It's independent. Um, it's one of the few, I think, independent college papers in the nation. And so I went over there and I tried to apply to write for their entertainment section and they said no. So then I went to um, this entertainment magazine called Insight, uh, which was awful magazine that paid me in, in coupons to, uh, to local restaurants. And I wound up interviewing Vinny from Paper and Plastic for that magazine and eventually just like walked into the warehouse and started being an intern. <laughs> And uh, I think later in 2011, by like July, um, our, our, our mail order guy had gotten fired. So I took over mail order and then our label manager left to move to Atlanta. So a few months after that, I started doing the label managing and the publicity and stuff. So it kind of just fell into place. But uh, Vinny trusted me to do that stuff because of the work that I had done as an intern, I guess. Um, I mean, I know certainly after having label managed through many interns that you kind of get at what you put into it type thing. Um, so I think that I had just been there sort of at the right time. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I've heard you talk about this before, but would you say like Vinny kind of becomes a mentor for you at this point? Is he who shows you the ropes of the industry, so to say? I think, yeah, absolutely. Vinny showed me everything that I know, uh, that I knew up to, uh, you know, beginning of 2013, so for two straight years, definitely taught me everything about putting out records, everything, because I, I really learned everything on the, on the job, so, so to speak. Um, it wasn't, I didn't have, whoa. <laughs> Is that me? What? Sorry. You get a weird feedback? No, I just heard my phone. Wow, what the fuck was that? Oh, dude, my bad. Uh, my, <laughs> You're fine. My phone is hooked up to my computer, <laughs> and I just got a call, and it started ringing on my computer, and it was really loud, but I have never experienced that before, so that was freaky. It's a new thing. I'm not a fan of it, but... Right, yeah. I'm, I don't think I like that, and I, I don't use my home computer as much as my work computer, so that was weird. Anyway, um, what, what, what were we just talking about? We're talking about Vinny being a mentor for you. Definitely was a mentor. Taught me everything I know about putting out records for a couple of years. Um, before that, the guy who encouraged me to go get an internship at a record label was Ian Harrison from Hopeless Records, um, who, who does their marketing over there. He's the head of marketing. And I went to visit California one like winter break or something. And I had known Ian from uh, emailing him about Yellow Card and about other bands. And I sort of met up with him at the hopeless offices and, and I asked him, like, how would I get into this? And he said, just work for free for someone until you can learn your learn enough to, to get paid to do that type thing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So Ian and Vinny early on were two, two of the people who I, I trusted most, so to speak. Do you think that that's still, I mean, do you still give that advice to people about do something for free to learn it and then move on? Do you think that that's the best method to kind of learn the ropes of the industry? 
I do think that's the really the only method. Um, unless you have a specific skill that is valuable to a, a company that happens to put out music, let's say it's a record label, let's say it's a management company um, or a booking agency or whatever, and maybe you are a great video editor and you can shoot great video and so you can make music videos. You don't have to, I mean, maybe you'll have to do that for free at the beginning for a little while to like sort of fill up your portfolio type thing, but you will eventually be able to make a living by doing that, um, especially if you have the right connections and stuff. That's a, that's, a, that's a bona fide skill that is rare. But in a lot of other ways, you're going to have to intern. Um, when it comes to writing, you're going to have to write for free for a while. Um, when it comes to working at a label, you're probably going to have to work for free to get some experience before a label will consider adding you to their team. Um, especially for like uh, positions like marketing or A and R or anything like that, you're definitely going to have to have something on your resume that shows that you can do it. Um, so yeah, I do. I do think not only is it the best way, it's probably pretty much the only way. <laughs> yeah, I would have to agree with you. Actually, I mean that's how my experience comes from. I guess it's one of those things where if you've never been in the situation where you've done a lot of free work and then you get a job, it's a little bit harder to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But once once you get to that end and you yeah. find employment, it's like, oh, this is this is really the only way. Like I wasn't really ready until I got to a point where somebody was like, okay, we'll pay you now. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. When I when I got hired by Fuse, it was it was like during the interview, it was really like an amalgamation of them asking me very specific things, but I could point to something that I did where I had, you know, developed this skill or, or learned how to do this thing. Um, and that was from Paper and Plastic and from Absolute Punk. And even from, for a very short amount of time, I was working with Luleda Aliyah from Absolute Punk on starting her new website made of chalk. And I, that site wound up starting up as soon as I got hired by Fuse. So I never, I don't think I ever actually wrote anything for the site. But I was involved in sort of the behind-the-scenes planning and the building of the site and things like that. And even that came up in my interview with Fuse. Oh, um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It was, it's the sort of thing where if you, if you build up that experience um, while you're young, especially, is the most convenient time to do it. And then when you're ready to, fi to go find a job, hopefully, hopefully it just works out. You know? I think it just worked out for me. I, I love the story of how you get the job at Fuse because I think you're the only other person I know who essentially gets hired through Twitter. <laughs> um, so someone who worked at Fuse, who did, who did, she, oh man, while she was at Fuse, she did the job that I'm doing now. She was a web content manager um, and she, she, I think, found my Menzingers review online and she started following me on Twitter and that was Menzingers on the Impossible Past. And then eventually when they needed a web content manager, she just like emailed me sort of out of the blue. I wasn't, I hadn't, wasn't looking for a job at that point. Um, I was just playing on staying in Gainesville and I wound up sending over my resume, which I first had to type because I didn't have one. <laughs> and, um, and then I uh, had a couple interviews with Fuse and it, it worked out and I moved up to, to New York. When did, when did that happen again? It's been a while now. I, I forgot. Yeah, that was. I moved up here in very beginning of March 2013. So, in uh, I guess three months, I'll have been here for two years. Does it feel like it's been that long? Um, the first year went by extremely fast. Uh, the second year, sort of like not such a whirlwind type thing. Um, especially like with the winter last year, like those four months just went by super fast. It was a crazy winter. It was terrible weather over the weekend. 
Um, but this year, my girlfriend has moved up here with me. Um, I just moved into a new apartment, and my friend, my two best friends are moving in. Um, so things are going by, not necessarily slowly, but uh, I can I can sort of see the days pass by. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so have you and your lady been in together this whole time and she just moved to New York City or did you start dating after you were in New York? Uh, uh started dating, uh, I'd only been up here for a few months and she went, she went to FSU and she's graduated here behind me, but we went to the same high school actually. So we've been together for like a year and a half and despite the fact that she went to FSU, she's still okay. And then she, so she lives in New York City now. Do you guys, yeah. do you guys share a place? We do. Ah, oh, I live with my lady. That's, that's always a fun change yeah um yeah she no she just moved in with me when she moved up here and she was able to find a job pretty quickly um so it was a pretty smooth thing that's awesome there's always yeah. that stereotype that people especially people that work online as often as you and i do that we live like these sh like sheltered lives away from all society <laughs> but it's nice it's nice to find somebody else that lives with that has another human with them to prove that they're alive and that they're a real person right I, I, my, ex <laughs> my existence is validated <laughs> <laughs> does she does she work in music too no she works for like a, a hedge fund it's like sort of the intersection of like tech and finance type thing. She and and she's an administrator there. Yeah, sounds like a real job. It, yeah, that's a that's very much a real world thing. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't think about music at all at work. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have my parents have been known to tell their people that they work with that like their son just has a lot of fun for a living. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't really have a real job. He just he does fun things. Uh. <laughs> Um, so let me talk, let's talk about Fuse. So you've been there for a little while now. It's, it's a lot different than what you were doing at Absolute Punk, no? Yeah, there's a, I, I do almost no writing for Fuse. Which is kind of strange. The pieces you do write tend to be a little bit bigger, like they're premieres or they're some kind of feature or something like meaningful. Yeah, definitely because that's, that's the sort of thing that you can have lead up to. Uh, like I can plan it and I can pitch it and it can get approved and I can, you know, just write it and have it done by the time it's supposed to go up. Um, it, that's very much an aside to like my normal job. And even those have been cut down a lot. I haven't done one of those in a couple of months, I think, just because things, things that I'm supposed to be doing are just ramping up a lot at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to have, to have the opportunity to do that stuff, even if it's not my normal day-to-day -day sort of thing. So what is a normal day in the life for Thomas Nassif like? Um, so the web content managers, there's two people on my team now plus my boss and the web content managers at Fuse are responsible for basically maintaining and updating and executing everything that you see on the site that isn't editorial news coverage. So like the shows section of Fuse, like the section of Fuse that promotes our TV shows mm -hmm. or um, the festivals hub or... Um, really anything that you see that requires curation, like the homepage, um, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of integrated marketing execution um, involves us doing all of that stuff while the news writers write the news. Now, do you, <laughs> do you like that? You spent so much time being very content focused in terms of like content creation. Do you like kind of being a, like a step back from that, being a little bit further removed, or do you miss it? Um. At first, I missed it more than I do now. Maybe I'm just becoming numb to all of life. Um, no. <laughs> I, I think uh, as I've learned what, what this role is more, I've started to enjoy it a lot more. And I do sort of think that this is uh, something that you can 
not necessarily that this is like what you work towards. Like I'm certainly working towards more and more. Um, but I do, I do like it a lot. There's, a, there's things that I like that I would not have anticipated liking when I was in college. And I, I think that's valuable to find something else um, that maybe you weren't expecting because you're going to have to work for a long time. Chances are you're not going to be able to do the same thing for your whole life. So I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to have learned what I've learned at Fuse and to have these new skills that I can most likely take with me to future jobs. Can you, can you give me an example, elaborate on that? Like something in college you didn't think you would like, but now you're kind of like, oh, this is kind of fun or at least right. work. A definitely a good example is like uh, when we have an integrated marketing campaign at Fuse, which is to say that some third-party brand has um, purchased a sponsorship of some sort. Um, I'll often be responsible for executing that sponsorship, which is, you know, maybe writing something, maybe just managing a, a hub page for their for their branded content or whatever. And I know like the eye roll that people get when they think about branded content. And I'm often, or I was often the same way, I, I guess. Um, but that's a surprisingly quote unquote fun thing. <laughs> like I. I I think that people would think I'm, I'm super lame if I call that fun, but it, I, I do think it's fun. You got to think what you do for a living is fun. I mean, otherwise, especially if you're in music, like if you're in music and you find a job and it's not fun, sure. like you've really messed up somehow. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, 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 there's, I just can't, I can't complain. You know, I, I work at a company that's a TV channel that is all about music and that's a, that's a cool thing in, a, in and of itself. And on the side, you know, I have this record label that I do as a passion project. And it's a great balance. Yeah, I do want to talk about the label. Uh, before we get off of Fuse, though, I, I, you know what I was, I like that you mentioned that it's a place that is con, uh, like obsessed with music because I think that Fuse doesn't always get the credit they deserve because everyone always wants to whine about MTV or whine about this and that and how things change. But Fuse really does still care about music and you introduce people to artists that aren't necessarily on the Fuse network through the blog. Like there mm -hmm. is a actual passion for music at Fuse. Absolutely. Um, the news writers at Views are, are just about as passionate as I've, as I've seen, as I've come across writing for any sort of publication. Um, and the people, especially in the talent department, um, are, it's, it's crazy. Like everyone there is sort of the kind of person who goes off and independently discovers their own thing. You know, like the people who, who wind up, uh, what's a good way to put it? The people who go to Absolute Punk and actively seek out their new music. And it's if you're working at some day job, like you know, maybe you'll have a couple people there who are that into it. But at Fuse almost everyone is. And natural I guess it's natural because of the the type of company that it is. But it, it definitely makes for a cool place to work and a lot of cool people to work with. I, I like that answer, man. You're very fortunate to be in a role like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I definitely will will always appreciate the opportunity. Given, given the weird way that you kind of fall, fell into this job at Fuse, when people approach you about like, how did you, how do I get into the music business? Like what advice do you give them? Um, I do, I do think it kind of goes back to what we said earlier, doing as much as you can. Um, college is, is a really, it's a really good time to be able to just put, don't say no to stuff basically. Um, mm -hmm. That's the most free time you're ever going to have. And after you leave college, you're going to have to get some sort of job. And it can either be a job that you really like or a job that holds you over until you find a job that you really like. Um, but if you put enough work in while you're in school, 
chances are that when you graduate, you'll be able to, to get into something you like a little more because you have this extra bit of experience under your belt. Um, so I do, I do think that it's just about sort of laying a groundwork for yourself mm-hmm. and making sure that you have a set of skills that are presentable to someone who's hiring and then it's getting a little bit lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. of luck. Patience yeah. and luck. <laughs> and uh, if, you keep, if you keep saying yes to doing things, um, whether you're getting paid for them or not, eventually I think the networking will hopefully pay off. Uh, after five years at Absolute Punk, I, I can't imagine something I could have done in this industry that I would have met more people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, Absolute Punk is definitely the gateway for me. Yeah, I, I tell people that if they can write to get into writing and if they take, you know, whatever it is, try to get into something. Like blogs are such an easy open door to the industry. Like you can get so many connections that way, even if you aren't the best writer. Like it's a good way just to meet people and, you know, talk music with people that actually get paid to do it. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, I do want to talk about bad timing. There are a few people have asked me questions related to bad timing, but I think before we can talk about it, we kind of have to talk about your bromance with Mr. Zach. Oh yeah, my 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 true bay. I think before we true bay, don't let the lady uh-huh. hear. I know the lady hears it all the time. I think anyone who follows <laughs> you on Twitter sees that the lady hears it all the time. <laughs> um, but I do. I mean, I feel like you two are kind of a team. So before we can talk about the label, we kind of have to know about like your origin story. Like, how do you and Zach get as tight as you are now? Um, I definitely met Zach when I was working just at Absolute Punk, and I think I at one point. I, try to convince Zach to stop doing property Zach and just be a staff member at Absolute Punk, <laughs> which I'm, I'm pretty happy he didn't do. Um, but I think that's kind of how we met and we just sort of started talking almost every day, just online, um, when, and obviously we both spent a lot of time online at that point. And when he started managing this band called Light Years, um, and I heard their record and I showed it to Vinny and we ended up sending it to Paper and Plastic, so that was like another sort of just another thing that we had to work on together, you know, um, that we had to talk more often. And we wound up becoming, I would say that Zach's one of my best friends. And uh, when I moved up to New York and I wanted to start this record label, um, he was the only person who I really felt like asking to be a partner in it. I, that's real admirable. I tell people this all the time, but I think it's so important to find uh like a counterpart i mean zach is as much is a close friend to you but i think because of the fact he's so driven that he also kind of challenges you in a way where it's like look at all i'm doing now can you do that or do even more than what i'm doing and that kind of helps you both build one another up i definitely think that at the at, towards the beginning of our relationship it was that it was a, a friendly competition of sorts um and I'm not so much caught up in the competition aspect anymore because we, we do this thing together, we do the record label together, um, and I've, I've sort of taken a step back from Absolute Punk as I've had this full-time job um, come, come to fruition. So it's like I don't, I don't have this bandwidth anymore to be able to do all these different things like, like Zach's doing. <laughs> um, and I, cer- I certainly admire Zach for, for, for doing that, um, but it's, a, it's not really that sort of lifestyle for me at this point anymore. That's a that's a conversation I have with a lot of people because Zach is so much younger than the rest of us. Not so much younger, but he is he's young enough from the rest of us that he's still in. He still like runs around with us in terms of like how people talk about blogging and people that are in the alternative scene. But he has so much more free time 
than yeah. everybody else. It's, it's just that, that key. It's like when you're in college, you just have that free time. Yeah, like you, you already brought that up, but that's like, Zach is a perfect example of like making use of that free time. And then by the time you're out, like people can't believe he's as young as he is because of all the things that he does. And it makes us old guys look like we don't use our time as wisely. <laughs> yeah, Zach's, Zach's going to be in a pretty good spot whenever he graduates, whenever he manages to finish school. <laughs> that's the one problem with being as busy as he is. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's awesome though that I like that I like how it gets started that way. So you you have the idea for bad timing and I know we don't have to get into it, but I love the little bit that you've said at other places about how the name bad timing is related to a girl like way too many other things. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, I I had gotten the logo made for it like in October of 2012. Like it was like way out before I decided to actually start the label. I just had an idea that I didn't want to forget yeah and so i asked a, a, a designer friend to to go ahead and and make a logo for it and then when i moved up to new york and i was like surprised sort of it was like it's not the same type of free time that you have in college it's like a different type of thing of like when you get off work and you don't want to go out and spend money on dinner or drinking that night then you're kind of just sitting at home yeah. <laughs> it's like six or six thirty or seven o'clock or whatever and i wasn't used to like not working all the time at that point so I decided to, I, I was still doing paper and plastic when I first moved up here, but I start, decided to start doing this label thing, and and I wound up asking Zach to, to be the partner, and that's kind of, I guess, the origin story of that. <laughs> but it, So then your first release is this acceptance album, which is huge, and it's so much different than, like at the time, I already had Antique, and I remember when you guys announced the label, I kind of expected you to do something similar, and then you come out of the gate with this big release like you start so big oh, yeah i love it and that's i think that that's what really helps establish bad timing and get you guys off the ground so fast is that you you kind of come out the gate with a successful first release <coughs> and people don't that don't even understand how much vinyl costs to produce like you sell enough that it works it worked out well as opposed to like a lot of places that are like maybe we'll break even yeah and <clears throat> i mean that was the goal you know of course the goal is to break even there, yeah. there, you you don't set a higher goal um from day one than Maybe I'll get my money back one day. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we started, that was, that was definitely the, the key to our label sort of having the type of year and a half that it's had so far mm -hmm. is this first release that winds up not only breaking even, but we sold out of that record in four hours and we immediately did a second pressing, which is actually just about to sell out soon. Wow. Um, yeah. And I think... Like Zach and I don't don't pay ourselves back after that. We kind of decide um, that this income from acceptance is just going to be used to fund BTR002 and really everything through BTR15 <laughs> um, in a way. Like that that first that sort of first uh, startup release, as I like to think about it, really mm -hmm. helps the label like do more and more and more and become a little self sustaining there and. Now we're at this next hurdle where we do need a little more funds, so Zach and I are having to reinvest. So, you know, the the label has done well. Zach and I haven't made a dollar off of it yet, yeah. um, and that's sort of just been by personal choice. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly not not something that we're in necessarily for the money. Um, it's definitely something that we're in for to have a lot of fun with it, which is definitely the case. We've done releases this year with Knucklepuck, obviously that one was a uh, billboard heat seekers charting a little and, successful <laughs> yeah 
And uh, Kevin, <laughs> having Kevin Divine stuff has been unreal. Um, we have 15 things confirmed already for 2015, so it's just going to get busier. Which is crazy because we just I just interviewed Pure, uh, Pure Noise the other day, and Jake only has 17 releases planned for next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... Um, it's, I, I guess it's just hard to plan. You know, you don't, you don't know what you're going to be doing next October. Yeah. Um, you have an idea. <laughs> yeah. We do have a recurring series planned for this year, which accounted for six of those. It's an every other month type thing. Yeah. Um, and that'll, that's definitely a chunk of those. And uh, other than that, I would say we have everything planned pretty solid through April or May. So <laughs> that's where I'm at. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think that's pretty much the reasonable expectation of unless until you you become a real big label, maybe you're planning two or three quarters ahead. But I think most of the little guys are planning a quarter ahead. I mean, I'm happy to have like all the way to May. Like having made it figured out, I feel like I'm way ahead of myself. Where I'm like, okay, we can kind of sit back and just work on promoting these records for a month yeah, or two. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I think it, I was realizing like August. I realized that. Bad timing was going to have this busy fall, this real busy fall. Yeah. Actually, I guess it was more June or July where we where we really realized that things were stacking up, mm-hmm. and then we got really excited. And then I was like, "Well, what do we do at the end of that?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "We're going to have to do all this shit, and then we're going to have like what three months off. It's going to be a bummer." But it just sort of worked out where we, as those records came out, we just sort of planned ahead, and that was that was the I think a moment of figuring out how to do the label thing for me and Zach. Mm-hmm. Because uh, every every new thing that you come into is something you've never really handled before. Um, so it's exciting in that way. I want to talk a little bit about the smaller acts. Because what I love about how you guys have done it is you had this big release that a lot of people knew. And you used it not only to do other records, which people kind of wanted, demanded to have on vinyl. But you also used it to kind of start doing your own original releases. Which I think is kind of what everyone wants to get to when they start a label. Is you're like, it would be awesome to put out bands that I believe in that other people haven't already given a bunch of money to go record a record. Um and you guys got to that point, especially Future Crooks is the first one that Zach brought to my attention, at least, where he was like, oh my gosh, you got to hear this thing Thomas showed me. And I was like, oh, you're going to go down this route. So I'm kind of curious, like, when you started Bad Timing, I think you've said this in other places, was the original idea to do original releases and then acceptance was like, oh, this would be a lot, a bigger kind of splash to make, so to say? Like, interestingly, it wasn't something that me and Zach had laid out as a groundwork. But in, in my mind, the acceptance release, you, you, we had to start with reissues in my mind because it was it's too much work to explain to uh, everyone who you are, both like who your label is, mm-hmm. and then also get them to trust you because a lot of the vinyl community is just about trust. Like, is this company going to fuck up my mail order type thing? Um, and then on top of that, introduce them to this new band that they've never heard of. That's a lot of, that's asking a lot of people who are just, you know, scrolling by something in the vinyl collective form or whatever. Um, so in my mind, we had to start with the reissues to, to sort of get um, the trust of this vinyl community. And for at least like, if say you didn't like Acceptance and you don't like Valencia and you don't like Mansions and you didn't buy any of our records up until that point, at least hopefully there are people who have heard our name once or twice. Um, so that way when we announced this new band, Future Crooks, like, it wasn't introducing Bad Timing Records and Future Crooks. It was just, hey, you know who we are. Check out this band that we want you to listen to type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for the Future Crooks album came along at the point at a point where I was thinking about we should shift gears a little bit and start putting out original stuff. And we weren't going to, like, rush into it, but that album came along and then we certainly rushed, rushed to 
to put that out because we liked it a lot. And, I mean, we don't want to talk too much about what you guys haven't announced yet, but can we expect more original releases in the new year? I mean, you have the series, which I know a little bit about, but we won't give away. Um, but do you have, like, some, like, future Crooks-type artists that you're going to try to bring to the light? I know you just signed Head North, so we got Yeah, we just, we just announced that one. We just announced Head North. Um, and that's a band that's put out, I think, one EP and one split. So they're, they're very much a young band from Buffalo. Um, and we actually just got first mixes for, for their new EP, which I think we're going to wind up putting out in March-ish. Oh, so, um, so like a 7-inch EP or are going to have to do like a 10-inch? It's going to be a one set of 12-inch. Okay, that's awesome. Um, yeah, six songs, tw- it's about 20, 20, 20 or so minutes. Um, but the, the mixes are incredible. These, these guys are like, it's exciting to see a band this young grow so far in between releases. Um, I think that people who who sort of got into them as they were a pop-punk band are also going to be interested to see this jump that they've made into sort of like, I hear a lot of envy on the coast in their music and a lot of this like darker stuff, but there's still like a, like a catchiness behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sort of, let me pull up, well, let me see what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, are, we are doing another new EP in the spring um, that we honestly probably won't announce until February. But it's a band that a lot of people know. We're gonna we're gonna do a reissue of this band's album and then uh, do a new thing. Um, and it's something that I'm extremely excited about. This was a record that came out like three years ago that I really liked and I think is extremely underrated. Um, so I'm kind of excited to help this band sort of like kickstart themselves back into action. Okay. So to speak. Yeah. That's that's cool. I like that. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about something that has nothing to do with bad timing, but we touched on it a couple of times in this conversation and I was talking to Zach about it the other day, actually, and I thought you'd be the perfect person to bring this up on the podcast. (laughs) Album reviews. You and I both got started writing album reviews. That's kind of a claim to fame in some extents. Um, Do they still matter? Um, I think, I think it really depends on who you ask. I I definitely do think they matter um, to, to existing communities. Like, I guess the thing is that if, if you're if you just randomly stumble upon like major store orchestra, and that's a pretty big indie band, it's, it's reasonable to say that any random person might stumble upon a major store orchestra song. Um, I don't think that you go and read a review of you know I mean everything's nothing or of Cope to try to decide whether you should listen to those albums. At this point, you're just going to Spotify and you're listening. Um, everything's so accessible that there's no need for people to to like really try to filter what they listen to. If, if you listen to a song on Spotify and it turns out you don't like it, you wasted 30 seconds, you wasted a minute or three minutes. Um, so there's no time investment there. I think when, when people had to buy CDs to listen to music, and you know maybe this is the early 2000s or so, when you had to spend $18 to listen to a CD, you needed some sort of reassurance that you were at least maybe going to like it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So maybe at that point in time, you're reading a review and, and you're checking it out. I think right now... Like on Absolute Punk, uh, the reviews are just a, for, a forum for discussion about this album that uh, that is being reviewed, and I think that's the biggest that's the biggest point of it on Absolute Punk. I would say. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that that's what blogs have to at least try to do. I guess that's the hope of album reviews. I know a lot of young sites have been talking about or altogether dropping album reviews because 
there's that belief that in the social, age of social media that everyone has a voice. So why does you know random kid in North Dakota's voice matter just because it's on this dot com? Which I think there's I think there's grounds for that argument, but I also think that there there is such a thing as being like a you know, having some level of professionalism at being a critic and they're having something to say more than just like oh this is good or this is bad and I, I I'm slanted because I like this band or I've never heard of this band so they get you know they get a little bit more leniency or something like that. I think that there is, I think there is some weight in some voices, but at the same time you have to be, there still needs to be a way for people to establish new voices. And that's kind of what I'm a little interested in and how that's going to happen in the years to come, because it does seem like it's, you know, the way people, the weight people put in album reviews, especially even more than film is changing a lot. Yeah. I think, I think that you just hit the nail on the head there is you have to turn into this person who, whose opinion people care about for whatever reason. Like, and when I started writing reviews in Absolute Punk, you know, people didn't like people didn't know who I was, and they, we would click on the review because it's a staff review in Absolute Punk, mm-hmm. and like they would go and check it out and comment on it, like especially if they had listened to the album or whatever. But then eventually, when I started writing about bigger albums, then like you sort of just built up this voice, and people start to care more and more about what you think about an album because you've reviewed these other albums that they care about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it's, it's, so it's interesting in that respect. Like you have to, you have to build up your voice to get people to care, but it's tough to get people to read in the first place. <laughs> um, I think, I, I, I think that Absolute Punk is the premium example of a place that helps people develop their voice, but you know, like not everyone can work for that site. So there's, there's other, these other sites like Property Zach and, and Under the Gun, um, and you guys have helped people create these voices as well. Yeah. It's weird. I can't tell people how to... It's one of those things that I can't really tell you how to do, though. Like, people will be like, oh, how do you make it to a point where, like, you have a ton more Twitter followers than somebody else because of what you talk about? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, yeah. Luck. It, a lot of it's luck. People just click in on the right link. And, you know, look, it's, it's, it is a little bit of shameless self-promotion. For a while there, in, like, 2011... Which was the year I wrote the wrote the wrote the most reviews I had ever written in a year. At the end of almost every single review, I had a link to my Twitter profile because, at that point, it was it was all about like I obviously wanted to write about these records and write about music, and that was a focus. But it was also like, hey, uh, let's see if I can benefit myself uh, in some other way from doing this type thing. Yeah, and it paid off years later. <laughs> yeah, it, like oddly enough, <laughs> it, it worked. <laughs> No, but I like that. Um, let me ask you this: Do you actually read music blogs, like um, other than views? Do you have a, like a website that you visit every day to look for music news? I do truly, because I don't post a lot of news in Absolute Punk anymore. So I go there to look for news. That's um, awesome. Yeah, because uh, I'm just not involved as involved in the day to day that stuff there anymore. Um, I do like reading noisy, but I don't go to noisy. You know, I don't like type in. Noisy.vice.com yeah. or you click head, you click headlines and feeds. Yeah, and so that's what it is now. Like my my Twitter my Twitter feed is where I'll get news because I follow you know you get to choose who you want to follow or whatever, mm-hmm. and like that's how I get the news. I'll see the headlines and I'll go click on them. And there there's I find myself reading a lot of different websites rather than gravitating toward the same few, especially when it comes to music. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'll read. Pitchfork, if Pitchfork happens to post this thing first, or Consequence of Sound, which is the site that I really like. Yeah. I actually did really like want, like uh, clicking around Wandering Sound for a while. I would do that for a while, and they unfortunately just had to close down their doors. 
Um, but it's not like sports, you know. I, in sports, I know that I'm going to SB Nation for my news, but it's not so much the same in music. No, why do you think that is? Is it just because of SB Nation? And, I don't know, have they built a reputation with you that a music site has been unable to, or what is it? It's the nature, I think, it's more the nature of sports versus music news um, in the sense that in, in sports you can cover these extremely seemingly trivial things that a lot of people work, will care about, like the, the day-to-day um, reporting of a school looking for a new football coach is fascinating to that school's football fans, but if I were to report on the day-to-day happenings of band X trying to find a new bassist, you know, uh, even the band's fans are going to get bored of that. So it's just sort of the nature of, of sports news, I think. And, and yeah, it, it makes it a little more reasonable for a single uh, site to develop that repertoire with a reader. Do you miss the days of uh, being a news junkie, a news hound? Do you like... I mean, you said you don't really contribute as much to Absolute Punk as you used to, and I'm finding as I get older that that's something I've kind of had to come to terms with is, like, I just can't make that kind of time commitment anymore. But do you miss it, or do you feel like it's an evolution thing where you're like, okay, I'm at a different point in my career or my profession right now where I don't have to do that 24-7? Yeah, I mean, to tell you the truth, I don't want to post uh, one- and two-sentence news stories all day anymore. Um, And I did that for a little while in college, uh, where I was contributing to Absolute Punk, I would I would think just about, if not more than every all the other staff members that were on the site at, at that time. Um, but that's not something I'm particularly interested in any, anymore. I think if I were to start writing for a new type of, of music website or if Absolute Punk were to hire me, I would want to switch the format a little bit away from these one or two sentence news posts. Mm-hmm. Um, which is certainly a model that people have gravitated toward because they kind of get their news and then they can talk about it. Um, but yeah, I think if, if, if I were to go back to writing about news every day, I would want to put a little more weight behind it. Um, so I, don't, I definitely don't miss what I was doing, but I would probably not mind getting back into it at some point. That's good. I mean, that's good to hear, man. I think it's it's a passion project. I've definitely felt myself move away from it where I'm like, I'm okay with the fact, I guess you kind of hit it on the head, like I'm okay with the fact that I'm not doing it as much as I used to because part of me is like, I did it for a long time and part of me kind of is happy to not wake up every morning and be like, how many news stories can I churn out before the sun goes down today? But there's a part of me that's like, I guess I'll probably always have a piece of me that wants to do it or is at mm-hmm. least interested in the interested in joining the conversation in some way. And how long have, has Under the Gun been ran for now? It'll be seven years in March. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And I think this so, year is my most reviews. Like, you mentioned having your most reviews before. I think I wrote, like, 173 this year total. That's a ton, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have film, so film makes it a lot easier. Oh, okay, okay. You know, album reviews. I definitely wrote less album reviews this year, but thanks to being like in, in film critic film criticism is so much cooler than music criticism sometimes because right. like they there's just screenings and everyone goes at the same time and you watch it for two hours and then you're done and then you go write something it's a lot easier and it's like a scheduled time like i know tuesday at 7 p.m i'm going to go see into the woods or whatever it is and then i have until it comes out to write about it it's a lot more structured than music criticism yeah, I guess like the only the only real parallel you could draw is like when a big label will do like a listening party, I guess, for like this, yeah. for like a big time album. But yeah. like, but usually when when bloggers walk out of those, you know, the thing that you're getting is a first, very much a first impressions. Like, here's what I jotted down in my notebook type thing. Um, it's certainly not anything in depth. 
Yeah, and that's kind of the struggle that I've also encountered with film is that I, with music, I'm used to being able to like really dig into something. And sometimes mm-hmm. with film, like we saw Ameri- like the Boston Press here, we saw American Sniper in November 17th and it comes out here January 15th. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we'll never see it again before that day. And it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll write my review in November and sit on it or just try to remember it. And it's kind of hard not to be able to be like, but what about that? Can we go back and just see that one sequence again? Or was there a plot hole? Did I miss something? Like there's, it's a little bit more risky in that sense, I guess, because you don't, you don't have as much time to spend with it. So every film review is almost a first impression. Right. And <laughs> I, that definitely would be a, a, an interesting thing to like switch your mindset sort of. Um, do you take notes while you watch? Yeah, I'm actually, I, I've done it real bad with keeping a book. I, usually I have like paper and I like make a lot of notes, but I think next year I'm going to purposely keep a book because my film notes are so much, like I make album notes a lot, but they're a little bit more structured where I'll be like, oh, this song is like the power ballad, like have a little notes right. for each song. But with a film, I'm making more like notes that are almost like sentences from a review where I'll randomly be like, oh, this person does this here, or this is a key sequence, or note the music in this moment, or when it's a real bad film, like uh, any Mar- uh, Marlon Wayans film, like A Haunted House, <laughs> something like that, like, I'll make like a list of, my, my notes turn into problems, like, Marlon Wayans loves to have montages, like, those Haunted House movies are all montage jokes, like, just, just him doing the same bit 30 or 40 times at different punch right. and so, like, I'll have a whole section on my notes page that's just, like, montages, and then and like a, like a pinwheel that just points to all the different things that happen that are a montage. And then when I get home, like my notes are just like, oh, so I was just pissed. Like yeah. <laughs> this was just stupid. I can break it all down like this. So it's a little different, but I do take notes. But I had to I had to get used to that because then I come back and I sit down with an album and my my initial intention is to like I can write a review as first first time I listen to it. But I'm like now music you really do need to give it more time than film. Like you have to try to get past that first layer of meaning and yeah. impact yeah it definitely requires like like more of that repeat experience um definitely easier to ask that though from an album that's 40 minutes than filming like two and a half hours or whatever it's true like you can yeah. listen to weezer's green album five times before you finish interstellar but there you go <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but it's, it's a fun change. Do you, so you don't write many album reviews. Do you know what the last album review you wrote was? Uh, I can, I can look real quick. Let's see. I think, <laughs> I don't, I really, honestly don't remember off the top of my head. I know I reviewed the four year strong album this year, the EP that they just put out. Let's see if there's anything more recent than that. I, I really wanted to review the Aaron West record, but I sort of wanted someone else to review it. Um, because I write about the Wonder Years a lot, and I think it would have been a little more beneficial to have someone else's voice with it. Uh, oh yeah, I wrote, of course, I wrote the Newfound Glory review and a Transit review since then. Oh wow, that's those are two solid reviews though. I mean, you had to write the Transit review. I guess that was I, kind of a necessary one. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, people were interested in hearing my thoughts on the follow-up. Now, I like that the three bands that you chose are kind of interesting because they have been around for a while. So as a reviewer that's written about probably all of their albums, do you kind of feel like it's almost like your responsibility to keep commenting on the band as they keep releasing stuff? With Transit, I did feel that because of uh, the reaction that the Young New England review got. The Young New England review was still the most commented on review in Absolute Punk's history. And by views, I think it's like second or third on there. Um, so that review turned to, into this huge thing. Um, mm-hmm. So I did feel like the need to do that um, for for that album. With Lou Van Glory and Four Year Strong, I, I did review the last Four Year Strong LP, so I, I wanted to do this one, but that wasn't so much of a driving force. 
And before this newfound glory record, I think I'd only reviewed one of the albums. So, uh, yeah, yeah, just d different in different ways. But those are certainly three albums that I felt uh, more more a need to comment on than all of the other albums that come out. I guess you could say. <laughs> Do you pay close attention to reviews of bad timing releases? Uh, honestly. I guess Future Crooks is really one of the only that's like solely. I guess you have Knuckle Puck in there. Knuckle Puck and Future Crooks, and I guess those are the only two releases that we've put out this year that really, you know, warranted the review treatment from critics. Mm -hmm. um, and I did like to read those. I did. I, I I really appreciated people writing about, especially Future Crooks, and and then Knuckle Puck and, and kind of seeing what different people thought about them. Mm -hmm. um, so I would I would give it I would give the reviews a once over, but. It, I'm definitely, you know, I'm reading it from a different perspective than I read a review from the perspective of a person who writes reviews. <laughs> it's it's a complicated thing to to, to think about, sort of. But it, I, I definitely read it from a different mindset. I do too. I'll have times where I'm like halfway through a review and I'll hit like some bad paragraph and I'll, I have to drop the whole thing where I'm like, oh, you have no idea what you're talking about, or like you just don't you don't understand the English language at all. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> yeah, that's that's like the problem with being a long time reviewer is you get you start to like read between the lines, like your brain's working on two levels. You're reading it, but you're also judging it in some weird mm -hmm. way. <laughs> reviewing the review. Yeah, reviewing the, which nobody likes. Nobody likes. <laughs> yeah. That's a literal metacritic, I guess. And it's, <laughs> um, well, let's talk about let's talk about the future. We're pretty much to the present in the Thomas to see story. I want to know. We talked about 2015 and bad timing a little bit. Do you have any other aspirations? You've been on the Absolute Punk podcast, which I will someday be on. Jason and I are the worst at emailing one another, <laughs> but we have made plans to both be on each other's podcast. But you've been doing the Absolute Punk Absolute Pop Absolute Punk podcast for a minute now. Um, how do you how do you like that? You think you'll be doing a lot in 2015 as well? Yeah, I think that um, eventually, probably sometime in 2015, I'm going to probably end up stopping writing for Absolute Punk um, altogether, uh, as in, like, just in the sense of no more reviews and probably not very much news posting anymore. Uh, there are other staffers recently who have sort of done the same thing, like Christian Wagner and Adam Flighter are good examples of people who got hired around my time. Um, but I want to sort of try to put in a big effort in the first few months of the year into Absolute Punk, or at least more than I have been, um, in terms of we have some big features that we're planning to roll out, and in April, I think it'll be my, my five-year anniversary of writing for the site, and around then, maybe I'll start to consider like like getting out of that, like a sort of winding down on that for good, but I do think that the podcast, I'll keep doing that. Mm -hmm. um, even if I stop writing for the website, I'll, I'll, I'll still do the podcast like whenever, for as long as I can have like that hour a week, you know, because I, I like doing that a lot with June Jason. Do you think you'll, uh, we'll ever see Thomas DeSeef have his own podcast or maybe a bad timing podcast or Zach already has two shows. He might not have time for you. Yeah, he's, yeah, honestly, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't even book that guy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I've thought about, I've sort of thought about starting my own, but I really want to land on a concrete, uh, recurrable theme of sorts. Like, I don't want to do another podcast that does what Absolute Pump does and just talks about music in general. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think I would want it to have a little more like yours, like a little more interview-based um, with musicians and people from around the industry. But I'm, I'm trying to settle on sort of what the topic is going to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's the hardest part. I mean, I I've brainstormed. Zach and I have joked about starting one where we do every episode of Law and Order in order and talk about it, <laughs> which would take us forever. But like, at least that's a solid theme. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, and, and a fun thing to do. And a fun thing to do. This one's yeah. kind of fun, but it's always it's also weird because 
a lot of people in the in this business are so good about talking about other people and or their own creations, but when you ask them about themselves, they have no idea. And they're like, right. "Oh, I'm not interesting. It's everything that I do that's interesting." I've never reviewed myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why would you want to talk to the creator and not the creation? <laughs> uh, but I think you should do it. I think you should do it. I would listen to the Thomas Nassif interview hour. Yeah, I just gotta I just gotta figure out a good plan for it. <laughs> Um, then we have the bad timing thing. We have that. What is, do you have any like big fuse plans you can talk about for the new year or just staying employed? Um, <laughs> uh, fuse was recently purchased by a, a new company, uh, used to be owned by MSG and over the summer was sold to a company called Nuvo TV, um, which is based in Los Angeles. So, I mean, all I can really say is that there's a lot of changes happening within Fuse. I, I'm truly not allowed to say anything else. It is absolutely not my job to figure out when people are going to, you know, say anything about it. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of stuff going on, and it's really exciting uh, to sort of see the channel uh, doing new things. And, and I, honestly, I don't, I don't know when those things are going to come out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, it's, it's a cool time to be at Fuse, certainly. Do you think at this point you're a music business lifer? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's a, that's a weird thing, right? Because I'm not going to commit my whole life to it, but <laughs> I want to do bad timing for as long as I can, mm-hmm. um, which at the moment seems to be at least through the rest of 2015. So <laughs> like, it'll it'll be by that point one of the longest tenured things I've ever done, just because there aren't too many things I've done. Um, and yeah, I, I, w- I would like to do that for, for as long as possible and, you know, post Fuse, whatever comes after Fuse, I would imagine it's going to be in this business. And if it's not in this business and it's in sports writing, I'm going to say peace out to the music industry. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, probably. I think, it, I think it's safe to say you probably are. It's a, it's a weird question, but I think it's something that you kind of have to keep in your mind because you got to have that drive at all times. You can't get too comfortable. Mm-hmm. You never really know. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. <laughs> uh, but that's good. That's good to hear that you you feel like a lifer at this point. I I think I think you'll be I think you'll be okay. Yeah. Fuse Fuse seems like they have their ground under them. I've worked for companies that haven't. You, you you've got a good thing going, and bad timing does as well. Though, as you said, you guys don't take any money out for yourselves just yet. Do you think? I mean, that's probably never even been something. Have you even discussed that at this point, or is it still just like we'll put all the money back into the label until? we reach a point where we're like super safe or what's the idea? Right. It really hasn't been a serious talk yet. Um, we were able to start paying one employee. Um, her name is Emily and she does our, she does our mail order publicity and finance keeping. Awesome girl. So, she works hard. Yeah, no, she's great. Um, honestly, she's like that third part of bad timing that, that maybe not so many people like know about, but is like an insane, like to an insane extent, just the glue behind everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very happy to pay Emily to do those things, but we haven't discussed paying ourselves uh, yet. And I don't think, like maybe around this time next year, hopefully the label will have done well enough in 2015 for us to discuss it. Um, but it's definitely not something that's like a, a concern to me, really, in too many ways. I like that about Emily. Emily's awesome. I mean, we featured her on the Hogs blog. We just brought someone on to Antique. We just brought on Brian from ETG to do like our PR behind the scenes stuff. And I started like, cause we write those little notes with all of our orders. I've started like adding James and Craig and then, and Brian. And it just looks right. ridiculous, but at least he like, he's a part of it. 
Yeah. Like I wanted oh, to get awesome. the hype. And like it's cool. Like you guys always mention Emily, but you're right. Like she's one of those she's like a needed part of bad timing that people might not know about. hundred percent she is, yeah. Is she the only do you guys have more mailroom helpers than that? Uh no, I think I think that now well now we share a warehouse with Jade Tree Records. Um, which Zach is label managing. I think that there might be a Jade Tree intern who has helped us a couple times, mm-hmm. uh, but not not really much more than Zach and Emily doing it. I guess before we wrap up, we should definitely talk do label advice because people did tweet at me already today about the label thing. Do you? What is your advice to people that want to start a label? You guys did it a little differently than most because there is a lot of other costs associated to doing like a reissue like you guys did. There's licensing and all that jazz, but basic starting label advice. Um, yeah, we definitely we definitely had a different startup plan than most. Where we were, <laughs> our first move was to reach out to this major label to ask if we could press that acceptance record. Um, but if you're doing it on your own, like the one thing that I that I say, and it sounds like the stupidest advice I think, is just like you just kind of have to do it. Like you just kind of have to start it because there's no grand scheme plan. Even when we did this acceptance release, it was a lot of us doing things that we had never done before and kind of figuring it out as it went along. Um, so you just have to, to pick something that you want to do and just start doing it. Like, you know, get your, get your shit sorted, get, get your web store, get your LLC or whatever you're going to do because you don't want to commit any tax fraud or whatever. And then find a band that you want to work with and just start working with them. Uh, if they'll let you, <laughs> um, I, I truly, I wish that I could provide more insight than that, but I don't think that there's much to say other than you're going to figure out how to go yeah, I I will stress the LLC. I tell people the LLC thing all the time. I'm like, yeah. take take the burden of debt off your shoulders, get a credit card, and start an LLC. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, that's how they all do it. I mean, yeah, there's there's no need to, to ruin your life uh, because <laughs> you put out a a record that didn't sell. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I went to school for business, and the one thing I took away was like, if you have an LLC, then the debt's on the LLC and not on yourself. And I was like, that's all you need to know to start a business. Is like an LLC is the way to go. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, that's good though, and you guys are successful. But I like that you're taking risks, and that's something that I think is important for people to like do because it would have been very easy, I think, for bad timing to become a reissue label, or at least yeah. to do that primarily and you're trying to branch out i did want to have one question which i didn't ask earlier is with with head north you don't have to go into specifics but is it like a classic label sign like you said you sign them but is that like in a classic sense or is it more in like label services kind of sense um well yeah i'm gonna go back to one thing that you said earlier first is like we we could have i think after the acceptance release we kind of realized like how good that could be how good like a reissue can treat you if it's a home run but I very specifically did not want the labels to turn into that. Um, so we had to, we, we wanted to get an original release out sooner rather than labels later, rather. So, uh, so people wouldn't start associating us with only reissues. Um, but in the sense of Head North, like that's, that is a, a traditional sort of signing. Um, not, not so much probably in the monetary details compared to the bigger record labels like the bigger Indies. Um, but we did, we did, we do have a contract with Head North for a couple of releases, uh, providing this one goes well. <laughs> so that that is a that's an exciting thing um, for us to sort of. Um, I'm trying to think of the right wording, but sort of invest in the future of this band uh, yeah. that we like a lot, and that based on the first mixes that I, we just got them yesterday, um, 
it's just a cool thing to see and, and to be able to tell that we're going to see something cool happen with them. Yeah, definitely. I think anyone that's trying to start a label should probably also take a look at whatever's happening in Buffalo, New York, because they are a <laughs> hotbed for talent. They are, apparently. For it no is, reason. But in yeah. the last five years, they've supplied like half a dozen bands to the scene that have been like made an impact, not just come and go. Absolutely, yeah. That's weird. I don't get it. I mean, we both are working with artists from Buffalo right now, and it's just kind of like, oh, okay, so the Buffalo thing still works. I don't know why. No one there. So was from there. Yeah. Which is a band that I had signed to Paper and Plastic uh, a little while ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can see mountains are from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's in the water. So if you're, <laughs> it's like that's probably one of the most popular like local scenes in America right now, based on the amount of talent they're putting out. I think so. I think uh, Philadelphia runs away with the title, but uh, yeah, definitely Boston, Buffalo are, are up there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited that we got to sit down and do this for like an hour today. I have I could probably talk to you for like another hour, but I, I want you to be able to enjoy your Christmas break. And you're going to a ballet today, which is cool. I've never done that. Have you ever done the ballet before? I've never done that. This is a. Uh, my girlfriend asked me if I should go to a ballet, and I felt like I should say yes. <laughs> <laughs> do you, what's the show? Is it like the Nutcracker? I have to say that I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's the ballet. What could it be? It's it's the ballet. <laughs> this can be some people dancing. <laughs> some tutus and dancing, probably. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's good, man. I uh, well, I guess the last question I have. We've been doing this at the end of every show this month. What are your end of the year picks? What's your best one album? Give me oh. one album. Oh, one album. Uh, it's just against means uh, trans transgender dysphoria blues. I haven't heard that uh, one yet. That's good. I mean, I've heard it, but I haven't heard anyone name that one yet. So that's good. Oh man. Yeah. No, that's that's my that's my number one. Uh, my I think my number one at mid year was Hotel Year, and that's my number two still. But against me, sort of actually ran away with the number one thing for me um, over the past couple months. Like that that album that album gets me every single time I listen to it, and it sort of taught me that I don't necessarily have to intimately relate to lyricism for the lyricism to be extremely powerful. And I think that is a, a valuable thing I've learned when it comes to just consumption of music this year. So it's for me that that's easily the, the number one for me. Yeah, definitely. Let's see. Yeah. Do you have any other number ones? Do you have a favorite <laughs> film or music video or blah, blah, blah? I haven't thought about the rest of it because I haven't started building my list yet. It's almost uh, the end of the year. <laughs> I know. I, I only have six days to finish mine <laughs> uh, to actually count for the AP.net list. <laughs> um, but no, honestly, I'm trying to think of my favorite movie. This My favorite movie is probably Boyhood, which I'm sure that, that's a pick you've heard. Um, but that was, that was a movie that I really enjoyed. I honestly, of all the things that I've seen this year, I skipped Boyhood at like two festivals, <laughs> and now oh, wow. now that everyone's naming it, I'm like, oh, what a what a terrible decision that was. But now I'm just like faced with this three hours that I have to find in my day. You do. You should. You, you should find it. It's <laughs> I'm a I'm a guy that cries in movies. I'm already like prepared, so I'm like, eh, I'll I'll carve out some cry time eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's good note. That's a great choice, and everyone should see it. I, I am back it, even though I haven't seen it. I support everyone in it, and I support what it's about, and I'm I'm about it. So I back that. That's good. Um, so if anyone wants to find you on the social networks, you're at Thomas Nassif on Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Bad Timing. Is it Bad Timing Rex or Bad Timing Records? Bad Timing Rex is the Twitter handle. Um, R R E C S and BadTimingRecords.com and. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Do you have anything up for pre-order right now? We we don't. We're in we're in this very short dead period. I thought this dead period was going to be longer, uh, but we're going to be coming in January. In the first three weeks of January, 
uh, with three things. <laughs> I'll just say three things. Do you have a, um, Do you have a release in January? We have three. Three actual releases, not just announcements. Yes, three releases. Uh, three releases in January, and then two announcements in January as well. Um, so it's, it's, we're starting the year off a little busy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, currently is a dead period. We do have a 10% off sale. The code is MailKimp. Um, and if you don't know what that is, then listen to Serial. <laughs> <laughs> listen to Serial. It's over yeah. now, but go back and listen to it. No, go start episode one because you should. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, Thomas, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I hope you have a great holiday season. And uh, we'll have you back next year because I do want to talk about all that you guys are doing at Bad Timing, but I want to let you announce some of it first. <laughs> okay cool and th- thank you for having me on james no problem man i hopefully we can talk about it more and i do want to do like i'd like to do one maybe with you and maybe zach as well where we can kind of talk more in depth about running a label and like the ins and outs of what it takes and like the commitment that it needs because people have a lot of questions about that and i think it'd be kind of cool because we both have labels and they're but they're very different in like how we operate and the types of releases we've done and the size that we operate at. So I think that it'd be kind of cool to get like a two perspective thing on that. I do think that that would be a pretty interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, All right. So people can look forward to that in 2015 as there's only, this is actually the, this is the second to last episode of 2014 for us. You'll be the Christmas week episode. And uh, I bumped Scott Heisel so that we could do this episode first. Oh, wow. So an honor. So everyone can know that Scott Heisel will be the next guest on the podcast. Um, but we aren't going to talk about any of the cool stuff that people probably think that we're going to talk about because we can't. Um, so that'll be fun. So everyone, thanks for listening. And Thomas, thank you for doing the show. And check him out. Check out Bad Timing. Check out all that stuff. All right, man. Yeah. <laughs>